Hello everyone and welcome back to A Pint with Peter, an informative and somewhat comedy podcast where me and my mate Chris sit down with my dad as we try to bridge the intergenerational gap. Last week on the podcast, Peter laid the groundwork of the Isle of Wight Festival, as he likes to say, to give you a real sense of the time. And this week he goes into detail about the band's performing and what it was like to be in the crowd. So everyone, on that, please take your dexedrine now and let's get back to it. You've got me there. It's Friday. I was going to say, we've achieved a lot I've arrived. I've paid me three quid. I've had a shit. I've probably had a couple of hot dogs. Uh, maybe not, actually, because we probably had a, uh, had five or six dexedrine to get up because <laughs> I've always had a pretty useless stomach for sea crossing. Do you like that? Seasickness really... Tend, really yeah, it depends on the roughness. Yeah, so so on your on your first day, you had again twelve acts, twelve acts. Um, so just one stage. Yeah, one stage. I mean, now you've got multiple yeah. stages. Yeah, yeah. Even, just yeah. like small yeah. festivals. I mean, I mean, on the playlist. I mean, because I, I know, as I say, from my conversations in the record shop yesterday, this guy was probably about thirty-eight. You know, he wasn't even 40, but I reckon he'd recognise some of these. You had Arrival and you had Cactus, absolute third division conference. Are there any that were quite low billing then? Well, that, that's, now... that's, that's what I'm saying. Then you had Chicago, who were American, who, who were you know, pretty big. You had Family, who were also, if you remember, at the, at the Hyde Park. You had another band called Lighthouse, British, again, you know conference and amazingly you had a singer called melanie melanie who um was like a pop singer really she she oddly appeared there you had procol harem who who were never never hip you know but they had that massive massive hit that still played at weddings now you know the song i skipped the light fandango white a shade of pale Oh, I know, I know yeah. the, uh, the, the name Watcher. Procol Harum. Yeah, okay. I mean, Procol Harum for me were like status quo. Okay. I mean, if, if you probably have a, a passing interest in 70s music, you probably think, oh, my dad was in state, into status quo. But no, no, you wouldn't. Do. They would have been really uncool along with Procol Harum. Then you had a, another American called Tony Joe White, and then you had, um, which was really quite interesting. I quite enjoyed their set. You had a, you had a group of Black Americans called the Voices of East Harlem. There was quite a lot of them. It was like a collective, and they had some some girl singers. But for me, Andy will like me saying this because if you're into guitar players, you know iconic guitar players. For me, my my great memory, and it was during the daytime. I mean, don't forget back then you had no real light show it was incredibly basic incredibly basic i mean obviously there were stage lights but it would be the stage lights you'd have for a theater performance or something like that um so my standouts on that first day were taste and taste uh had an irish an amazing guitarist called rory gallagher so if you're into your rock music and uh, taste where, again, a three-piece, it's amazing how much noise a three-piece band can generate. You know, drums, guitar, bass, lead guitar, bass. And Rory Gallagher, not only could he sing really well, he was also a fantastic lead guitarist. So if you ever get a chance, 
for a bit of retro listening, listen to taste. So first night, you were conscious of Desolation Hill, and there was the odd ruckus. Because I don't remember sleeping very much, by the way. That's probably the Dexedrim. But, you know, there was the odd bit of shouting and name-calling. I was going to say, uh, there's a Roman story it's reminded me of, where they were surrounded by forests of barbarians. That's right, that's right. Reminding me of. You see, what was happening during the daytime, various security people were going up onto Desolation and trying to move people (laughs) on. But they weren't having it. And of course, that typically, being the authority figures, they created grudges and mm. so on and so forth. So the atmosphere was going on the first day. This, funnily enough, is an actual account by Mick Farron, because he was up on Desolation Hill. There are endless points of light, campfires, endless campfires with blanket swaddled hippies. This is uh, prescient. It was like being somewhere before a battle. Everybody was bored and variously intoxicated, getting ready for a confrontation between us and them. The whole site was surrounded by high fences, the double wall of corrugated iron. And this is my own uh, recollection. The security. It wasn't like Securicor or, you know, the kind of guys you get now. It was, lo- it was local lads. <laughs> I can just imagine it going into the pub. And who's a bit of a tough bastard, nasty bastard? Hey, do you fancy earning some extra money? And these lads, they kitted them out. I don't know where they got it from. Like a, 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 like a Nazi ex-army shop or something. They had these peaked caps like a railway engine driver's cap. They had jackets on that looked about five sizes too big. Are you with me? With brass buttons on. So they, they were kind of trying to create the impression of being authoritarian, but they looked slightly ridiculous. They looked really raggle-taggle. And they also had mangy kind of Alsatians that looked as if they should have been retired a long Aww. time ago. If you watch the video, I, d- I don't remember it, because the, the big thing I remember, I, what I do remember, is somebody had painted Hendrix for Poe. Frank Zappa was very big at the time. So we'll come on to Frank Zappa later. So you had Weasels Ripped My Flesh, which I think is a great title in Ten Foot High. Then, of course, you had all the SWAT stickers. And then you had um, a genuine sign saying something security you know, like Delta Security or whatever. And somebody, and it had a picture of an Alsatian. And somebody had written, scrawled on it in massive dripping letters, your Alsatians are actually poodles. (laughs) And, you know, there's all stuff like fuck the fence and that sort of stuff. You know, I think imagination is in quite short supply when you're on drugs. These are my own words. It was mainly local lads with duff uniforms and Dachau Alsatians, you know, like a concentration Mm. camp. In fact, when Mick Farron got going, he described the whole setup as like a psychedelic concentration camp, yeah? Tensions were building, grudges were established, and the whole place felt like a post-nuclear refugee squalor. Bad vibes began to rise, okay? So on, on, so on the first night, you, you felt pretty safe and you were behind the fence, yeah? Don't forget, there was also no lighting, are you with me? Yeah. They, they, you know, probably if you go to Glastonbury or whatever, they've got these, I don't know, because I haven't been, they've got these massive arc lights above the fence, haven't they? But it, it was quite medieval, because at night, obviously, where people were distracted by the bands, and you know people were distracted just by going about their business, the people on Desolation Hill obviously would be probing all the time for weak points 
in the fence. It's like some kind of history, like an army. Well, it is, isn't it? Now I'm getting reminiscent of Berlin Wall. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's like people. But it's it's sad, really, that this. Well, it's not sad, is it? It's when you think, as you know, my my granddad was at Eve, and my dad before he was cleared off, you know, was going to be part of D Day. Yeah, this was my D-Day Eve I was going to say. Do you know what I mean? You said you never served, but you yeah. went to the Isle of Wight Festival. I served my country. I mean, Mick Farron, I mean, what what a character. I mean, he um, he was everything. I mean, he, he could be played in a band. He was he was outspoken, all that. So I'd love to have met him. Unfortunately, as you know, he died on stage in uh, 2013, I think it was, of a heart attack <laughs> with his, his guitar in, in, in his hand. So on the second day, so we're into the main kind of Saturday now, the Desolation Hill mob, they'd actually not breached, I don't, in my recollections, they hadn't actually breached the fence, but by by using these discarded scaffolding poles as levers, they'd actually managed to create gaps between the sheets, you know, they'd bent it in. So it was like something off, off Game of Thrones, you know, where the undead come. Yeah. So you could see people peeping through the the gaps yeah so on the on the second day this this was the saturday you had uh, cat mother don't know much about that you had the door i mean what most people talk about is the 27 club i mean this would be the last significant gig that hendrix ever played because he was dead 18 days later and it was also the last significant gig that james you know jim morrison from the doors played because he died in paris died in the bathtub, apparently, of a massive drugs overdose. He's, he's buried, I think, in Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris, and people still take flowers. You had Emerson, Lake and Palmer, who I was going to have a podcast on, Progressive Rock. I mean, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, they were another supergroup. Remember I told you about Blind Faith? They came from, I won't go into the detail, but they were a supergroup, um, very pretentious. And my favourite act that day, and I think I've spoken to you about before, was Free. Do you remember Free? Um, I remember Free. Alright now. In fact, I had to pay 20 quid the other day for this. Look at this shitty old thing. It shows how long ago 50 years was. This was their fourth album. So you work it out, even by this stage, they, they had three albums. I mean, look at the look at the hair on them. I mean, obviously you have people nowadays with hair, don't you? But you see that, Chris. I like how it spells out free. Eh? If 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 you notice that, Dad. All the little blue dots. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Great band, great band. I think Paul, the mate, the lead singer. I think I think he's still a Paul Rogers. I think I think he still appears. No, they all do, don't they? The uh, lead guitarist, you can see there, looks like a lion, doesn't he? Looks like something off the bloody line. Looks like Aslan. He he was a real tragic guy. He was called Paul Kossoff, and he, he was a very gifted guitarist. Wonderful. If you ever get a chance, if you like rock and pop music, to watch their live performances, fantastic. And Kossoff died probably a couple of years later. He was a massive Mandrax man. You know, very talented tragic really that was my favorite act and of course who else played you had uh, john sebastian american mungo jerry do you remember some of these names from previous festivals amazingly you had miles davis 
who, you know, if your dad, for example, is into jazz, Miles Davis is right up there. Why I think Miles Davis uh, was there, I think it was because of Hendrix. Miles Davis and Hendrix, uh, some people think that Hendrix, had he had lived, would have turned much more into a jazz funk musician. Miles Davis, as it so happens, I mean, he, he was a real racist. You know, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't let uh, a white person anywhere near him, funnily enough, if you, if you read all the uh, biography. Slime the Family Stone. You ever heard of them? They're American. No. They were at Woodstock. They have a nice name. In fact, I think they probably stole Woodstock, actually. I think. Do you know uh, Dance to the Music? Dance to the Music. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the Slime the Stone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. And a brilliant band. I think I'd gone into a coma at this stage. I think, I think when they played, because I'm really, really sad I missed them, there's a band called Spirit. They were American, and uh, I'm really sad I missed them. Ten years after, they were massive. And he had this real prick. I mean, if you read stuff, I mean, that's the insert from the video. This guy called Tiny Tim, who played a ukulele, would you believe? If you watch that video, I mean, he's a really freaky-looking guy. I don't think there's a picture of him in that booklet. There might be. Uh, he was being interviewed. He was asked, do you think the festival should be free? And he, he said, yeah, of course. Great idea. Then in the next scene, it shows Tiny Tim's manager speaking to the Falk Brothers, basically saying, where's the fucking money? No money, no gig. And this guy wants cash. And it's, it's a wonderful scene. You've got this tent, which is obviously in the VIP area. And you, you've got them sitting. Oh, jeez. Yeah, see what I mean? I mean, talk about freaky. What a freaky looking... Oh, I yeah. think I might know one of his songs. Yeah. Did he do a song, Living in the Sunlight? Possibly, yeah. I mean, what, what, uh, what, what, why, why he's known? I, I don't remember it. Some people... Because you can find accounts of all these things. Some people think it was the best thing in the show. He sang... There'll never be an England... You know that song? He did that on a ukulele. I mean, total shit. I, I don't think I would have been interested. The Who also played. Do you remember I, I saw The Who early doors at, at the Mother's Club? So you had you had The Doors, you had Emerson, Lake and Palmer, you had Free, uh, you had Slime the Family Stone, you had Ten Years After, and you had The Who all in one day. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, if you ask somebody, you know, say, I don't know, say current band, say like 1975 and stuff like that, you'd have fun. You imagine going to a festival and having 10 acts that big just playing on one of the days. That's great. But the one thing I think she was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I don't know if you probably have never heard the album, but the lady was called Joni Mitchell. And Joni Mitchell was the ultimate hippie chick, you know, Californian. Well, I think she's Canadian originally, but she really embodied that kind of Californian hippy-dippy, trippy oh, spirit. Got a picture. There you go. That, that's Joni Mitchell. I mean, in the day... She was, um, amongst others, she was Neil Young's girl. But um, she was a really, really, still is, I think she's 80, I think she's got dementia now. She was a really genuinely nice person. And she, again, yeah, was at Woodstock. But when she was getting ready to play, this guy... I think he's called Yogi something. American, probably stoned out of his head. He jumped up, because Joni Mitchell played the piano, yeah. 
he jumped onto the stage and then started ranting about how this show is just for honkies and we're out here, we're the serfs, you know what I mean? And you're the lordlings and, uh, you know, this, this show should be free. And Joni Mitchell, I, I remember it, because we, we were quite up close to the front again. We always managed to inveigle ourselves. Um, you could see she was close to tears. But it's a wonderful, iconic moment. And she said to the guy, you know, I remember you from Woodstock and, uh, you know, I'm not entirely out of kilter with your opinions, but come on, you know, I, I want to play. I want to entertain the people. It's a wonderful moment. And the guy, I think he was dragged off kicking and screaming. <laughs> but that's why I mention it is that at that point, you had a lot of ill feeling. Mm around the place and later that afternoon i i reckon some people might because don't forget you're talking about quite a big perimeter don't forget you're encompassing five half a million people probably but i remember and again it was like game of thrones or something the fence started being attacked and and you could see the corrugated tin buckling yeah you know how <laughs> on these horror movies where yeah. they, you know, and then, then it went down. And once, once they had breached, literally, once they had a hole in the fence, it all came through. But what was interesting, and I can, I can see this security guard now, you know, his hat on, on a kilt with the Alsatian. It looked like it was on a pyjama cord or something, biting people. It was really heavy. It was really what would have been called heavy. And then this security guy, you know, this dog had its teeth into somebody's leg. And he called over another guy. And I, I witnessed all this. And the two of them, with, with truncheons, started beating up this guy in the mud. And then there were other scuffles going on. Then they had a third security guy. And they literally dragged this hippie, I suppose, kicking and screaming by his feet across the mud. I can remember now looking at the kind of skid mark in the mud. You saw some really heavy stuff you know punching and, and, and nobody was killed but you know there would have been quite serious injury and eventually they, they breached it then they obviously breached the second so you know encirclement and then i don't know how it happened it could have been an accident then you had a one of his hot dog stalls was torched <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what was interesting it was a real um, moral dilemma. I mean, to our discredit, Barney and I were basically kind of interested, voyeuristic observers, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, although we weren't incredibly puny, we, we didn't fancy getting in with some French anarchists or whatever. And B, it was quite entertaining. You know, it's like standing back and what watching. Oh, yeah, you definitely stand back. And, and you watch definitely that. had bloody noses and bruises and things. But well, the um, crowd be joining in. Well, that's the point I'm coming on to. You you were really conflicted because a lot of people, well, not a lot, a lot, but some guys actually who paid the three quid, are you with me? Their attitude was, I've paid my fucking three quid, I don't care who you fucking are, you're not getting in for now. So, so you had fighting between the so-called hippies in the kind of inner circle and these anarchists. So you, you had guys who were actually trying to help out the security. <laughs> 
Are you with me? But it, yeah. it wasn't kind of, oh, what you're doing is terribly wrong. You really had the vibe. I've paid three quid here. You bastards aren't coming in for free. Oh, I was actually going to ask your feelings after paying three quid. Yeah, well, I, actually, I, do, I really do remember not bothering. It was probably the drugs as well. But um, it, it, it was, it was really bizarre because going back to that tiny Tim thing, they were in this, his manager and so on. they're in this little tent they were literally knee high in notes in banknotes they were counting it all out <laughs> you know and that again is the tension you've got these people up on the hill who when you think about it totally unrealistically and unreasonable expected things to be free i mean how you know it's logical isn't it how yeah. can you bring all those top ranking acts over from america for free, etc. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was really, really interesting. So I'm, I'm going to draw a veil over the fighting and I'm going to come on the next Hendrix podcast actually to watching, this would be about midnight, by the way, because, you know, organisation wasn't brilliant. I, I will run through briefly the concert and my perception of it, blah, blah. And next time I'll spend a bit of time talking about how for me, and I think for a lot of people, after what we'd witnessed, for us, the revolution was over. Do you know what I mean? It, it was just full of shit in a way, even though some of the music was good. The whole vibe, man, had been destroyed. <laughs> the vibe was gone. Okay, so we'll leave it there. <laughs> Well, everyone, we are going to leave it there this week with the walls breached, the battle raging and the hopes that Jimi Hendrix will save the beleaguered paying hippies. I also love it when Dad signs off with a teaser to what he will chat about next week. Certainly makes my job a little easier. Curious about his line about the end of the revolution. I feel like I'm at the age now of my revolution of the youth ending too. So I feel we can compare some notes. But you never know, this current climate we live in could reignite Peter's revolutionistic side. Join in with our revolution chat. God, I've said revolution a lot. By heading over to Twitter and using the handle at a pint with Peter. Or use our email, apipewithpeter at gmail.com. And remember to review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It just helps the podcast get noticed. Thanks everyone for listening and on to the next one.